Hi, I'm Lou Eisen. Uh, this is Ring Top. I'm a boxing writer, historian, author, and we have uh, a great show for you today. And uh, as you can hear, we're, I'm, we're broadcasting from Toronto, so extremely windy, 95 kilometer an hour winds, so it's buffeting the apartment. We're high up. Uh, today, we're going to discuss two uh, incredible fights. Uh, Sonny Liston's uh, fights with Floyd Patterson in 1962 and in 1963. Uh, we're doing both because the first fight lasted two minutes and four seconds, and the second fight lasted two minutes and ten seconds. And the first fight, Liston was a an eight-to-five uh, favorite. They didn't give Patterson a chance. Liston had a sketchy uh, beginning. Um, we don't know exactly when he was born. He could have been born anywhere from 28 to 32. He listed it at 32 as his age for legal reasons. But he said when he was born, it, his birth date was carved in a tree, but the tree was chopped down. His mother said that his birth date was recorded in the family Bible, but the Bible was lost. So we don't know Liston's real birth date, neither did he. And that's probably the saddest thing about him. We don't know his exact date of his birth or the exact date of his death. Uh, we know he was found January 5th, 1971, uh, excuse me, and that he most likely was killed by the mob with a hot shot. That's what I've heard from uh, many of the older boxing insiders and from people in the underworld. Uh, Liston, at the time that he uh, died, he was in his 40s and he wanted to be a Shylock. He, he wanted to be a loan shark. And they said, no, you just muscle for hire. And because of that, he said, I'm going to go to the FBI, which is the worst thing you can ever say, or go to the papers. And he said it to his mob handler, Ash Resnick, and, and at the Thunderbird Hotel in Vegas. And a couple of days later, he was dead. His wife had come home from a visit. I think she was in St. Louis with their adopted excuse me, kid and uh, smelled terrible. And she went up and found his body and then called the FBI a couple hours later. Why did she wait? We don't know. But we do know that she moved the various things around when i heard he was given a hot shot of cocaine and heroin liston hated needles and um apparently all these guys when the mob does a hit um it's usually by someone the person who takes you out is usually someone you know because it lowers your defenses i don't have anything to fear from this person so what happens Three or four of his friends show up and they want some drinks and Liston gets some drinks and then they want some ice. He goes to get him some ice. They slip a Mickey into his drink. He passes out, carry him to his bedroom, take his clothes off and then shoot him up. Liston was deathly afraid of needles. When he went to the dentist, he wouldn't allow any anesthetic. Even when he, he had um, uh, his eye the, up in, this, in the first Ali fight, when the cut was open, he had it sewn, no anesthetic, wouldn't allow it did not like needles. So um, we know Floyd Patterson was born in a cabin in Waco, North Carolina, January 4th, 1935. And Patterson had a brother who boxed as well. And Patterson and his family made their way up to New York. Patterson was a truant who fell behind in school. Patterson, what happened to Patterson was because it's happened to me as well. Uh, it moved around so often. Uh, my mother passed away. I moved around to so many different schools that you're, you fall behind. You're afraid to go into class because you've been made fun of because you can't read or write. So he was, he was deemed a truant and then age 11 uh, because he could not read or write. And he, he couldn't talk either. He, or he wouldn't talk, I should say. 
And whenever someone spoke to him, he wouldn't look at them in the face. So his mother had him committed to the Wiltwick School, a school in upstate New York for emotionally disturbed boys. And his new teacher was very kind to him, and she helped him read to learn how to read and write and how to talk and instilled um, tremendous confidence in him. He told me that years ago that one of the biggest things to happen to him was uh, they were asking a question in class about something and he knew the answer, but he was afraid to speak out in class. So he didn't answer it. No one got it. And when she told him the answer, he looked, he was about to cry. And she said to him, Floyd, I know you knew the answer. And that really helped his self-esteem. He had a younger brother, Ray, who also became a professional uh, heavyweight boxer. Uh, Liston, we believe, was born on, on um, possibly May 8th, 1932. He could have been younger. He gave so many various dates for his birth, we'll never know. By the time he fought Ali, they said he was 32. But he was in his 40s, most people believe, because um, Chris Dundee, Angelo's brother, uh, had issues of Ring Magazine from the 30s that had posters of Liston advertising Sailor Boy Sonny Liston, great new heavyweight. So this is in the mid to late 30s. So even if he was 17, let's say in 1938, that makes him 43 when he fought uh, uh, Muhammad Ali. Also, Liston was the best heavyweight in the world, probably from 1956, 57 on. He just never got a shot at the title. Um, Liston was a mob fighter from beginning to end. So he worked on this farm in, in born on a small farm in Arkansas. He was the 25th of 26 children born to Tobe Liston. Liston was 6'1". Liston had a over 80, uh, like an 84-inch reach, which I think one of the longest in heavyweight history. Ali's was only 78. So Liston's working on this farm, and Jerry Eisenberg, the great, Hall of Fame writer from the Newark Star-Ledger uh, told me a story how they had a mule on the farm. And when the mule broke, he took the he took the um, plow and he hitched it to Liston. And his father said, you the mule now. And so Liston had to do this from the age of seven on. We know he had no schooling. And even if there was school allowed for African-Americans back then in his area, there was no school built. And his father wouldn't have allowed him to go. They had to work on the farm. So, Liston has a terrible life. His father beat him every day to such an extent that when his father didn't beat him, he would say, are you all right, Dad? didn't beat me today. And him and his siblings all shared one shack, slept on the floor in a hovel, no heat in the winter, and, you know, just a terrible existence. So his mother, tired of that life and tired of getting beaten up by her husband, Tobe, which was his second wife, she uh, moved to St. Louis and Liston at 16 wanted to go see her. So Liston gathered thousands of chestnuts, sold them, got enough money for a one-way ticket to St. Louis. And Liston wasn't, he was illiterate, couldn't read or write, couldn't do math. And later on, his wife Geraldine taught him how to write his name for an autograph. But he sold these, these chestnuts gets the ticket, goes to see his mom, gets to St. Louis, and it's funny, but it's sad, but he actually says, you know, uh, does anyone here know my mom? And he asked around, he actually found someone who did, and he actually uh, unbelievably finds his mom, and then she doesn't really care. Oh, you're here. What do you want me to do? 
I'm already working three jobs. I can't feed the kids I took with me. What do you want? So Liston's cast out again. He starts falling in with a bad group of people, commits all these robberies, wears the same yellow shirt. They call him the Yellow Shirt Bandit. Gets caught and goes to Jefferson City in St. Louis for a prison term. And when he's in there, you know, he's people are terri- people in prison are terrified of him. You have to be pretty tough to have people in prison terrified of you. So uh, what happens is a, a priest, a father in prison, takes mercy on Liston and tries to get him a trade but teaches him how to box. Now, this is the big conundrum of Liston's life. We don't know if this is when he started boxing, and we don't know if he started boxing in the 30s because he was very proficient at it in prison. He destroyed everyone. And so the priest had various boxing people that he knew bring up professionals and Liston would just annihilate them. And the priest didn't know how the business of boxing worked. At that point, it was controlled by the mafia, organized crime, the mob under Frankie Carbo and, (coughs) excuse me, Blinky Palermo. So they controlled professional boxing. At that time, the champion's Rocky Marciano. So the priest actually calls, uh, somehow gets a hold of Marciano's people in New York and says, we like to have a, our guy here fight him. How many fights has he had? None. No professional fights. How many amateur fights? None. Just here in prison. And at that time, of course, Liston was not, would not have been ready to take on a guy like Marciano. That's another BS thing, by the way. People say Marciano quit because Liston, he was terrified of Liston. Marciano had never heard of Liston when he retired. Marciano retired in 55 for two reasons. First of all, he had a chronic bad back. And second of all, uh, Al Weil, the uh, guy who ran Madison Square Garden boxing for the mob, uh, forced Marciano to sign a terrible contract when he first started in the late 40s, which gave him 50% of everything. That's why Marciano, to the day he died, demanded everything in cash, because it was a check. He had to split it with Al Weil. So they, they get Liston out of jail. He gets out of jail early because of the priest and also because of mob contacts. You know, these professional boxers that have fought him and the people that brought him up go back and say to John Vitale, a mob head in uh, St. Louis, you got to see this guy. This guy could be our ticket to the title. This guy's incredible. When Marciano retired, they had a title fight between Archie Moore, the light heavyweight champ, and young Floyd Patterson. And Patterson knocked him out in the fifth round, dropped him twice. Second time he got up, but Pat, he was really hurt. The first punch that dropped him for the first knockdown was a left hook to Moore's head. He just wasn't quick enough. Um, and Patterson was just too quick for him. So Patterson only weighed 189 for the fight. And Liston, with the help of the mob, gets his career moved ahead. So he goes into the Golden Gloves, and he fights He fights Ed Sanders, the Olympic heavyweight champion, and destroys him. He beats all these guys, and he's the AAU heavyweight champion. You know, in 52, 53. And then after that, Liston uh, turns pro. And they're in a hurry, you know, to make money with him. So, uh, you know, Liston starts moving up. He wins the St. Louis Golden Gloves February 13th. And as a heavyweight, he wins the Chicago Golden Gloves two weeks later. 
And, you know, he's beating guy like he beat Donnie Fleeman, a guy that Ali beat years later. Uh, he, he beats uh, Ed Sanders, as I said. So he's winning all these things. And then he wins the International Golden Gloves by a one round knockout. He just destroyed everyone. And, of course, it helped that he, he people were terrified of him. He had that menacing stare. And, you know, Ed Sanders, who died early, was not a bum. You know, he was an Olympic champion and and a gold glove, former gold glove champion. List and walk right through him. So his career begins with a one-round knockout over Donnie Smith. And he has a nine-fight winning streak. And he makes his national television debut against a guy named uh, Johnny Summerlin. And he wins a decision after eight rounds. But he's awkward. And he was handed a defeat. First loss, September 7th, nineteen. 54, by a guy named Marty Marshall. Liston laughed at Marshall during the fight at some point. Marshall hit him back and broke Liston's jaw. And this was early in the first round, and Liston still went the eight-round distance and lost a split decision. So he made it close. Seven months later, he knocked him out in six rounds and after flooring Marshall four times. And then he won the rubber match by a lopsided 10-round unanimous decision. At that point, his record was 14-1. However... Uh, as great as he was in the ring, his full-time job was working as a debt collector for the mob, and he was a skullcracker. So if someone owed you, someone owed the mob money, and they didn't pay. Sonny Liston showed up to get the money, and he didn't. There were no excuses. Do you have the money? Yes or no. Well, the problem is, he said, I don't want to hear the problem is yes or no. And if you said no, he'd break your skull. He'd fracture your skull. He'd break your legs. He'd break your arms. He was good at it, extremely intimidating. He had no other skills, couldn't read, couldn't write, and beating people up and hurting them was what he was best at. So a a few months later, he assaulted a police officer, and um, he was banned from boxing for all of 1957. It should be mentioned that Liston, a lot of the times, for instance, one time he was sitting on a stoop with his sister in St. Louis, and a officer came by and said you ends you n words get off the stoop and listen said just a sec this is our home we're just sitting on the front stoop we're not bothering anyone i said you ends get and his sister said that you can't talk to us like that and the cop walked up the stoop took a baton out to hit his sister and listen just grabbed it and lifted the cop up in the air with one hand 16 took 16 cops with batons to subdue listen Think about that for a sec. Ten cops were on him, pounding him, pounding him, hitting him, hurting him. Nothing. Nothing. You know, and then six more had to come to help. He returned to the ring in 1958, and Liston did the opposite of what you're supposed to do when you're champion. Champions, to be great champions, have to clean out their division. Liston cleaned out the heavyweight division before he became champion. By 57... He was probably the best heavyweight in the world, but Patterson wouldn't fight him. And this is large part due to his his um, manager, Customato, who said, I don't want to let the mob back into boxing. But then again, that was being disingenuous because much earlier in his career, Customato had used um, the mob when it benefited him. And in the 1950, there was a thing called the Manager's Guild set up by the International Boxing Commission, which was controlled by... by um, uh, James Norris and and um, Frankie Carmo and Blinky Clermo. And if your manager didn't belong to the International Managers Guild, then you weren't going to get a fight. So 
you know, they had no choice. D'Amato, a job of a manager, D'Amato did it great, is to prevent, is to make sure your fighter takes the least risk for the most amount of money. And he knew Patterson just couldn't beat Liston. So he ducked him and ducked him. And in between, he fought easy guys. He fought the 56 Olympic gold medalist heavyweight Pete Rademacher, who who knocked him down in the first round. This is in his first pro fight ever, Rademacher. And Patterson came down after and um, knocked him out. In fact, one of my favorite writers, Jerry Eisenberg, said that, um, I believe he said, uh, Patterson had the speed of a gazelle and the chin of a romantic poet. Patterson had no chin at all. So he fought Roy Cut and Shoot Harris here in Toronto. Chevalier was supposed to get that fight, but didn't because he lost his previous fight, uh, I believe, to a guy named Corletti. And then he he um, he also beat um, uh, Tom McNeely, Peter McNeely's father, and he he beat a bunch of guys, Tommy Hurricane Jackson, who were really third and fourth tier fighters. They weren't really that good. And some of these guys, like McNeely, were guys that Liston had destroyed in under two minutes. So he's protecting him. And so what Liston did was he cleaned out the division from 57 on till he shot in 62. Liston beat uh, um, Cleveland Williams. He beat Albert Westfall, who was German. In fact, after the fight, they asked Westfall, do you want to fight him again? And he said, nine, 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 nine. No, no, no. He, and he, he went and Liston just went and destroyed everyone. So no one wanted to face Sonny Liston after that. He he beat Nino Valdez, the giant Cuban, knocked him out in three rounds, beat Wayne Bethia, one round KO, knocked out Zora Foley in three rounds, knocked out Mike DeJean, the giant, six rounds, um, beat Cleveland Williams twice, although in the first fight, Williams hit him with a right hand and Liston's knees buckled, but he couldn't keep it up. Liston took the punch. He beat Burt White. Hurst twice in 1958. Um, he got knocked through the ropes uh, in the final seconds of the bout, in the second bout with Burt Whitehurst, but he just managed to make it back. And any decision, Eddie Machen. Um, the thing about Eddie Machen was Eddie Machen and Zora Foley, when they fought Liston, after uh, they were very honest. They said, we were doing all right until his manager put some sort of tiger bomb or astringent on its gloves, put it in our face and burned our eyes. Now, that's true. Liston had done that when when he was having trouble in fights. That's a known fact. The problem is he was a mob fighter. You don't say that about mob fighters because the mobsters that run them don't appreciate that. And this is why several years later, Foley and Machen both died in different parts of the USA under mysterious circumstances, one out of a window, the other in a pool, in a motel pool. And as Angela Dundee said, these guys, the mob never makes threats ever that they don't intend to back up. There's no such thing as an idle threat from them. Uh, Dundee knew in the first fight with Liston that Cassius Clay had his eyes burned in the same way with Tiger Bomb put on Liston's gloves, but you don't say it out loud because discretion's the better part of valor. And his brother, Chris Dundee, who had worked with the mob for years but was never sullied by them, said, it doesn't do you any good to mention it. Ali mentioned it. He said, they're dirty guys. He's run by the mob. They put Tiger Bomb on his gloves. But Ali could say that because he had the foy, the Fruit of Islam, behind him, and he didn't have to worry about the mob. The Fruit of Islam was larger and better equipped and better armed. So 
we get back to this fight. So Liston's just destroying all these people. And Patterson, you know, is avoiding him. And finally Patterson says, listen, I got to fight him. And Castamato said, no, you should not fight him. But he defied his manager, Castamato, and set up the fight. Um, once again, Jerry Eisenberg said he was speaking to a writer. I think Jerry Lisker. And he asked Lisker before the first Patterson-Liston fight, what do you think? And Lisker said, well, I went to interview him, Jerry. And uh, he, you know, I said, what do you think about the fight? And he said, well, I'm going to do my very best against Mr. Liston. And I'll try as hard as I can. And uh, with the help of God, I'll win. And so Lisker looks at Eisenberg and says, at that point, I went and put every cent I have to my name on Liston. When you call the challenger Mr. and say you're going to try your very best, whereas most guys will say, I'm going to knock his head off. I'm going to bust his teeth out. He said, you could tell Patterson was terrified, but he put his belief in God. And and Eisenberg said, I got to go. Uh, I got to go to the local church. I got to check out what God's odds are for this fight. And uh, I don't think anyone could have helped him. It took place September 25th in 1962 in Chicago, and it was clear from the moment the bell rang that, um, you know, he was in, Patterson was in way over his head. They signed for the fight on March 15th. Patterson entered the fight 38-2 with 29 KOs. His two losses uh, before, he had, um, he lost to Joey Maxim, and he'd lost to, um, sweet Ingemar Johansson and Patterson became the first person ever to win the world heavyweight title twice in fact Patterson was the youngest man to ever win the world heavyweight title when he won it in 55 against Archie Moore you know he 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 was um I believe uh, 20 years old so he it, this was a big event Patterson was a big underdog 264 locations showed up in closed circuit in Canada and the United States the crowd was 18,894 at Comiskey Park in Chicago. It was not in New York, even though Patterson was a New York fighter, but Patterson had mob connections in every city, so they wouldn't allow the fight to go on there. The gross gate was 665420 and the net gate was $556,119. This is a very important distinction because Patterson received 55% of ancillary rights and 45% of the net gate. So Liston only received 12.5% of the net gate in all revenue phases. So Liston got almost nothing for the fight. And people that looked at the contract said it was the worst contract signed in boxing history. But Patterson, Liston knew if I don't sign it, I'm not getting a shot at the title. Klitschko's used to do this to people too. That's what you do when you're the champion. You squeeze the challenger. Patterson doesn't get a title shot, or Liston doesn't get a title shot, unless he agrees to a rematch with um, with um Patterson, which he did a year later. So the bell rings, the fight begins. Frank Sikora is the referee. Halfway through the first round, Liston hits Patterson with a tremendous right uppercut. If you look at Patterson, uh, you know, he weighed 189. Liston weighed 220. So, you know, 31 pound advantage. And uh, Liston falls his uppercut with punches, just pounding Patterson, ending it with a left hook. That dropped Patterson. He made it to his feet, but he couldn't beat the referee's count. Uh, my favorite comment about this fight, by the way, was from Sports Illustrated from the writer Gilbert Rogan. He wrote, and I quote, 
Liston is, is not a notably swift and flashy hitter, which he wasn't. He missed more punches than he landed. But that final left hook crashed into Patterson's cheek like a diesel rig going downhill. No breaks. There are no fighters extant. In other words, there's no fighters around today. And precious few mammals in this world of any variety that could have beaten the count. The miracle of this fight is that Patterson was even able to make it to his knees. Liston beat the hell out of him. Patterson came to the fight with a bag, brown bag, with a fake mustache and a fake beard and fake glasses. He, he was prepared to lose. He walked in already lost. Liston had intimidated him, and he'd already lost. And, you know, I mean, it's, you could see this coming. Liston had been ducked. He'd been the best heavyweight in the world. He was angry at Patterson. And before the fight, he said, I'm, I'm just going to kill him. You know, I have no respect for the man. Wouldn't fight me. I'm the best out there. What do I have to do to get a title shot? President Kennedy, before the fight, had said to Patterson, don't fight this man. Please don't fight this man. He's a hoodlum. He's, you know, he's a mobster. And that's was all true. But if you took all the mobsters and crooks and criminals out of the Boxing Hall of Fame, there'd be precious few people there. So a year later, you know, in, in uh, July 22nd, 1963, at the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Liston comes in at 215. Patterson gained 5 pounds, 194, but Liston still has a 21-pound advantage. They fight again. Referee was Harold Krauss. It was Liston's first title defense. His only successful title defense. And uh, their original contract stated that if Liston, Liston won, the rematch had to be within 12 months' time. It also dictated the past... Patterson and Liston would get, each get 30% of the gate and 20% of the closed circuit revenue. Now, the fight was supposed to be April 4th, 63 in Miami Beach, but was changed when Liston injured his knee while training. The match was then moved to June 27th in Las Vegas, Nevada, because of the recurrence of the knee injury. The bout was postponed yet again and rescheduled for July, July 22nd after Patterson had to have a benign tumor removed from between his fourth and fifth knuckles on his right hand. The fight was shown on closed-circuit TV in 143 locations in 109 cities. Liston was an eight-fight, five-favorite in the first fight. This one, he was 4-1. to one. In a United Press International UPI poll um, of, um, of uh, all the writers there, of 64 sports writers, 51 picked Liston to win and 13 picked Patterson. I'd like to know who those 13 are because, obviously, uh, they weren't that well uh, um, their knowledge of boxing wasn't really that good. The crowd was only 7,800, and the gross gate was 286,190, not nearly what it was for the first fight. Um, shortly before the fight started, a ringside vendor yelled, Peanuts, popcorn, better get it now, folks. First round is the last round. And the fight starts. Patterson, you could see, is, is scared. Uh, but he does his best. You got to give him credit for getting in the ring. Patterson was a real. Uh, Ali said he was the fastest fighter he ever faced. He was a real gentleman in and out of the ring. But being a gentleman in the ring doesn't really do you much good against a monster like Patter, like Liston. Patterson was floored three times, uh, just pounded by Liston. Patterson had a habit of holding Liston's right hand, and he would hold Liston's right hand in his arm. Liston couldn't get loose, so Liston just pounded him with his left hand. And uh, 
you know, Patterson would say to the ref, he's holding an inning, and the ref said, you're the one holding, let go. And Patterson couldn't let go because the fight would have ended sooner. And the fight lasted four seconds longer, two minutes and ten seconds. And Liston dropped him three times, and then the referee said, that's it, you're done. And uh, after that, uh, the WBA, which stands for Without Brains Attached, said they would never allow a rematch again uh, between a, a fighter who won the title and the former champion because Patterson had, they said, mono, you know, monopolized a division with his three fights with um, Johansson and then two fights with Liston, which was complete BS. Uh, and it was inspired by the contract that Liston had signed with Patterson. But you know what? So what? I mean, the WBA was well aware of that, and they made special um, uh, dispensations for certain fighters. So this fight was was um, uh, an incredible fight, and once again, uh, it lasted less than a round. So it looked like, uh, as as um, Jerry Eisenberg said, Liston was going to be the world heavyweight champion for a good 20 years, and not even the U.S. Army, even if they sent in Air Force and artillery first, was going to beat him. Any way to beat him, he said, would involve shelling Liston for a good 30 years before going in to actually take him on. What's interesting is after the second fight, Ali gets in the ring and he's going like this. Eight rounds. That's pretty gutsy. It's 1963. Eight rounds. Liston falls in eight rounds next year. Liston falls in eight rounds. And Liston just ignored him. No one took Ali seriously, you know, at that point. Ali was looked at as a joke. So after um, Liston does this, he fights Ali, and he loses the title. And he, after he loses to Ali, he remains inactive for about a year. He makes a comeback in 66, and he wins four consecutive bouts in Sweden. Those bouts were promoted by former world heavyweight champion Ingemar Johansson. And uh, Liston uh, then took on, uh, on December 6, 1969, I remember watching it, his former sparring partner, Leotis Martin, who entered the fight blind in one eye. At the end of the fourth round, Liston dropped him. But fifth, sixth, seventh round, you know, you look at Liston, and Liston's bleeding from both eyes, from the nose, from the mouth. And he was leading Leotis Martin, all three scorecards. Uh, and then, uh, I think it was the eighth round, seventh round or eighth round, he hit him with a right hand. Martin hit a perfect right hand. Liston fell on his stomach. And let me tell you, when you fall face first, you ain't getting up. Liston was down for the whole count. He didn't move until his cornerman came in and rolled him over on his back. And his final bout was June 29, 1970, against Chuck Wepner. And he pounded the hell out of Wepner. Wepner needed to go Brady stitches. And they asked him after the fight, is Wepner the bravest man you ever met? And Liston said, nope, his manager is. So... Um, it was sad for Liston because, you know, this is all, that was all he, all she wrote for Liston. He never fought again. He'd signed to fight George Chevallo. He was going to face him, but the fight never happened. And George told me when I signed to fight Liston, he'd already been dead for a week. So he was found by his wife, Geraldine, in their home. Uh, terrible odor. Sonny was naked, slumped up against the bed, a broken foot bench on the floor. And... Uh, the police said he was undressing for bed when he fell over backwards with such force that he broke the rail of the bench. And uh, what Geraldine did was she called his attorney and doctor, but didn't know fighter police for two or three hours. So we don't really know 
what happened. One of the greatest writers ever of all time, boxing writers and writers, Nigel Collins said, we'll never know for certain what happened to Sonny Liston. It's probably, he's probably killed by the mob. You know, that, that would be a fair assumption. Um, he liked to drink. He was not a drug taker, although they found puncture wounds in his arms. So if he was given that, he was forced to take that. Um, they found a quarter ounce of heroin and a balloon in the kitchen, a half ounce of marijuana in Liston's pants pockets. Liston was known, this is where it gets interesting for me, to be a heroin dealer. And Liston did that along with Red Rodney, who I had a chance of meeting. Red Rodney was a Jewish trumpet player who idolized and performed with his hero, Charlie Parker, who I feel is the greatest musician of the last century, the great alto saxophonist. And he got to know Liston, and I was going to meet him in Toronto here at a jazz club, but I fell asleep that night. He waited for me. They called to tell me the next day. He waited for you a couple hours after the show, so I felt like a schmuck. But um, uh, it's more than likely that um, uh, Liston was killed by the mob. I, I don't really have any doubt about that. The, the Las Vegas police said there was no foul, but you know what? So what? Um, they said that the drugs found in his system, the byproducts, the heroin, were not in large enough amounts to have caused his death. Um, and there was also scar tissue from needle marks found in the left bend of his elbow. So we don't know really, to, anyway, conclusively, exactly how he died. But I think the mob was behind it because they benefited the most. They got him out of their way. He was the problem and they got rid of the problem. And that's what the mob does. Uh, Liston had been hospitalized in December before that because uh, he complained of chest pains. So Joe Allen, boxing. Why was the press so hard on Liston? The press was hard on Liston because Liston, thank you, Joe, Liston was a, a um, illiterate. The press at the time was conservative and white. And most of them had grown up with Joe Lewis, who was Liston's idol. They didn't like Liston, didn't like the fact that he was illiterate. Young people didn't like him because of that. They didn't like him because of his mob connections. And Liston really never had a chance. So Liston just didn't talk to the press because they would say, how do you feel about Muhammad Ali? And Liston might say, you know, or Cassius Clay, I don't think Clay has a chance. And if he gets in the ring, I'm going to knock his head off. And But what the press would write is, I don't think that's that young man got much of a chance against a, a man like me, I, I gonna hurt him bad. And listen, never said that. They're giving this exaggerated black guy like, you know, to be racist. And after a while, listen, said there's no point in talking to him. Some people, some people got to talk to him. Jerry Eisenberg did, other people treated him. Well, Davey Pearl, the referee who refereed the first um, uh, Leonard Hearn's fight was probably Liston's closest friend, and he always treated him with respect. Respect was the biggest thing to Liston. So, you know, Liston would have a press conference, and they would say, are you really 32? You look like you're 45. And he would bang his fist on the table and then walk up to the writer, the writer who asked the question, who literally would pee himself and say, are you calling my mama a liar? And so, no, sir. So they would ask him questions, and he just gave one one word monosyllabic answers. You think you can beat the young Clay? Yep. Why? Because. 
You do you think he can last more than a couple rounds? No. Why? Because he just didn't want to talk to these people. He didn't trust him. He didn't like him, and he had good reason for that. Listen, also had a really good sense of humor. They asked him if he was going to join the Freedom Riders down south, and he said nope. And they asked him why, and he said because I ain't got no dog proof ass. So Liston had a mother wit. He knew that Liston cheered for the villain in, 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 in cowboy movies. So Liston knew there had to be a bad guy and a good guy. And he, he was the bad guy. That was the lot in life he was given. He was never paid much. Didn't get more than 13 grand for both fights with Clay and Ali. The mob took the majority of his money. The rest was taken by income tax. And, and he ended up broke. So, yes, and Liston is a lot of people's favorites, too. Uh, Liston was at the White House when um, uh, LBJ was there and just at one point said to his trainer, you know, oh, my pleasure, Joe, said uh, to Joe Polino, let's get out of this place. I don't want to be here with this, these losers. I mean, he just he didn't have much respect for other people, but no one had ever shown him any respect. Floyd Patterson kept boxing. He never won the title again. He beat George Chevallo in the fight of the year in 64. And um, Patterson, after that, um, uh, kept fighting. He lost to Ali in 66 when his back gave out. And um, he, he, was, um, he was a very good fighter. But, uh, you know, as I said, born in Waco, North Carolina, January 4th, 1935. He was the third eldest of 11 children. He died May 11, 11, 2006 from cancer and also from dementia. He grew up in the Bedford-Stuy section of Brooklyn. Um, he, he, he had Alzheimer's disease. So, and he also had prostate cancer. His autobiography was called Victory Over Myself. Um, he never disliked Liston personally. In fact, when Liston got stopped by Ali in the second match in one round. It was Patterson who came into the dressing room. And if you've seen the movie, The Harder They Fall, it's very similar to what happened in that scene. So Patterson sits beside him after Liston's lost, puts his arm around him, and he said, Sonny, you're a great champion. You're a good man, and I know how it feels. But you will get over this, I promise. You have people that love you and care about you. And he looked at Liston. Liston was just staring off into space. And uh, he got up to leave, and as he's walking out the door, he heard Liston say, thank you, Floyd. I, that was very kind of you. I really appreciate that. And so, you know, he got through to him. Uh, Ali's biggest regret, not his biggest, his biggest regret, of course, was uh, unfriending and ignoring Malcolm X. But Ali always, Ali was truly sad when Liston died. He wanted Liston to be, he wanted to sit, be able to sit down and talk with him and say to him, I never disliked you or hated you just building up the gate for the fight. Liston was controlled by the mob from beginning to end, and the highlights of his career, of course, were beating Patterson, winning the world title. And what's sad is when Liston won the world title, he flies back to Philadelphia, and he thinks there's going to be 10,000, 20,000 people there, and they're going to give me a celebration. This is going to be great. And he gets back there, and there's no one. And his shoulders slumped. He was really, truly upset for what had happened to him. And he was happy to win the title, but no one cared. So he moved to Denver after being harassed by the Philadelphia police. And they said to him at one point, if you're not out of town by midnight, we'll just go ahead and kill you. And he said, I'd rather be a lamppost in Denver than a, than a mayor of Philadelphia. He eventually ended up living in Las Vegas. That was more to his liking. He was a chronic gambler. 
but he was gambling with mob money. So uh, he loved Vegas. And uh, as I said, we'll never really know how he died. But it's the story of two different men. Both men were shy. Both were illiterate at one point. And both weren't really treated well by society. But Patterson made more of his life. Liston wanted to make more of his life and tried to. But he was just destroyed by the press and other people. And, you know, the mob had control of him. They squeezed all his money. And, you know, Liston was a thug. He was a great fighter. He's one of the all-time greats. No one could intimidate someone like Liston could. I mean, people, fighters would defecate themselves in their trunks in the ring, have to put the robe back on and then go out to the dressing room, get cleaned up and come back. Um, um, yes, I know the story about Rich Goddard pranking Sonny Liston. Thank you, Joe, uh, with, with, the, uh, with the fake leg. Um, uh, and he was lucky Liston took that well. Um, Liston was not a guy you could joke with at times, but there are photos of Liston and, and, um, um, he told, Joe hadn't heard it. He, he had a fake leg and he was showing it to Liston and Liston thought he had a fake leg and was reacting to that. And then he realized, you know, after that he was just being, it wasn't a fake leg when he actually showed him the leg, but, but, um, there's a great photo of Ali Liston from the 67 and Patterson and a couple other fighters, and they're all laughing, and Liston's laughing too. So Liston definitely wanted to be part of the group. It's just that, you know, his ignominious end with regards to the second fight with Ali and the fact that he was so heavily favored in the first fight. Uh, the high moments of his career were, were the fights with Patterson and the victory there. But you have to remember, Liston did everything in reverse. So he was the best heavyweight in the world before he fought for the title. He was better than Patterson. He cleaned out the entire division, which Patterson wouldn't do, and then fought Patterson and beat him. So uh, Patterson, as I said, uh, lived to May 11th, 2006. He was a very quiet guy. He got to run the New York State Boxing Commission for a while until his dementia set in and never had anything bad to say about anyone. That was Floyd Patterson. He's in the Hall of Fame as his son, E. Liston. And I believe Liston has the biggest fists of all time in the Hall of Fame. I think next to or including Primo Carnera. And I think the number third guy is Canada's George Chevalier. That is Ring Talk for this day. I hope you enjoyed it on Christmas. I hope everyone has a very, very Merry Christmas and a super happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year. I'm Lou Eisen, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.